If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham. And with me, a special friend, an early investor, Daniel. How are you doing, Daniel? I'm doing fine. Uh, happy to be on. I think uh, three of the companies I've been involved with have been on. So now it's finally my turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's finally your turn. I, I was actually finding that pretty surprising that I haven't had you on. We've known each other for so long. Party like together to at TDC. <laughs> yeah. You seem to always like uh, come out of the shadows once every time I need a, a guest, a great guest. So uh, before I get started, uh, this is the part of the podcast where I ask you, our guest, to talk about yourself, where you've been, where you're at, where you're heading. Okay, I mean, um, I can do the medium version. Uh, I am a finance guy. I worked in, started my career in, in banking, uh, finance, and um, kind of came into gaming because from an investment angle, I, um, it was before gaming was super popular as an investment. Uh, and, uh, me and my friend, we were like watching, uh, games on steam, performing really well, having really good sales and the companies behind them, they were like their stock, you know, their publicly listed stock, Swedish gaming companies, they were doing nothing. And, uh, I remember I went to an interview for like a analyst role, you know, like an investment analyst role, and you're always expected to present your best case. And I was talking about the Starbreeze back then because uh, Payday 2, which was just coming out, was selling so well. And I'm yeah. like, this is this is going to be so good for them. And uh, it's crazy because you can see it, the Steam stats, you can see it, that it's doing well, but uh, the stock is doing nothing. And the guy who I was presenting to was like 50 plus And he was like, what, what are you talking about? You know, this, is this something I can touch or, <laughs> and, and that's where I kind of understand, okay, there's, is, there's is an opportunity here because everyone that's above 50 in investment, they have no clue yeah. uh, what's going on here. And especially because you have like, especially when the companies are in the early days, the companies were quite small. So they had maybe one game every three years. So they had like two years without revenue. And that was like a nightmare for traditional investors. So there was like a really big opportunity. So that's how I got into it with some early investments in, in um, game companies and then transitioned into uh, game technology. Uh, and the transition basically happened by chance. I came across uh, Quixel uh, or Teddy uh, through like a random meeting. I, I didn't know what they were doing and he was presenting what they were doing. Uh, I, I'm happy to talk more about that amazing journey and that amazing company and those amazing founders, Teddy and Vakar. But uh, basically, I, you know, after meeting him for 15 minutes, I decided I'm going to take 100% of my money 
and borrow another 100% and invest everything <laughs> into this company. And, and that's what I did. And that was Quixel. I think it, that was in 20, I can't even remember now, but about three years before they were fi- uh, acquired by Epic Games. And I was, I worked there through the whole time. Uh, so, um, basically two from never having been done anything in gaming and two years after that, I, you know, sat in a meeting room with Tim Sweeney, which was pretty, pretty insane, uh, journey. And, um, since then I only basically, I mostly invest in game technology, deep game technology. Uh, some people say, you know, you're investing in picks and shovels, but I, I, I kind of, I invest in the guys who make the shovels. It's like, uh, even early, you know, some of the companies it's like, the you know, the really, the it's, you know, bef- you know, before the engine core. So like Quixel and some of the other companies that you have had on like Elias software and uh, Adnan from Polygon flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, you have a very interesting journey. I, I think, of course, I would love to kind of spend, Maybe the first third uh, about mm. your, your journey with Quixel, because it seems like you, it was your big foray into it and a huge mm. success story there, obviously. And then um, through that, uh, was able to kind of figure out and have a firmer grasp about this investment world in games, too. So mm. let's go ahead and, and get into that and we'll, we'll talk about other touch points. Um, even with you beginning and saying that people above 50 didn't have like a good perspective of what games were doing and what games were becoming this past year and a half. If anything, the pandemic was the craziest year I felt for acquisitions and just Epic buying company. It it just seems like every month there was like huge amount of news of acquiring companies. Um, What was, I, I guess your overall perspective of that before we, dive deeper into your, your history, like, um, as an investor, what was happening the past year that made games so interesting to investors all of a sudden, uh, where it felt like when you started, there was no interest. Yeah. Just to when I, so I, I'm mainly talking about Europe and where I'm from, uh, Sweden, I think in the U S you've had EA and other big gaming companies on the stock market for longer. So yeah. people, investors might have a, a better, uh, but in Sweden it was, but this was like five years ago, five, six years. So now it's, uh, you know, everyone is uh, in gaming. It's like, you, you cannot not be in it. Um, I mean, during the last year, I think, uh, every trend towards, um, every trend got accelerated, uh, and gaming was already a strong trend and it got accelerated further. We jumped a couple of years ahead on where we would have been. Um, I, um, uh, one investment I, I had, uh, you know, exploded in ha- several hundred percent up with a company that makes racing wheels, uh, the hardware. Uh, and, uh, when, uh, uh when the w- actual well, f- formula one and all of the racing season got halted and, uh, all the formula one drivers went home and started, uh, racing on the computer and streaming it. Uh, and everyone was getting into it. It was like, the, you know, the wildest explosion in, in home simulation equipment and home sim building. And, and that, that just blew up and is still uh, blowing up. So everything I think got, uh, got accelerated and, but if you're, you know, and the M and a boom, I think it's, 
that's like a der- derivative of the increased interest in it. Uh, I mean, what is happening is that our, there are listed companies that are valued quite highly, and then they are, and then there are unlisted companies that have games and uh, kind of the investors in the listed companies, they are more or less you know, applying a pretty high valuation to, to the revenues. It's the, it's a great time to be a game, to have a game, which makes revenue because you have many, many, many options, what to do with it. Even if it's like seen as a mediocre game, because if you're in a studio, you're, I mean, you're never sure about your next success. I, I mean, you worked yeah, on AAA yeah. titles. I, you worked on Call of Duty, mm-hmm. but even there, you are not 100% sure that the next release, even if you think it's, it's the best, that is it's yeah. going to be well-received, is it going to outsell the last one? So maybe if you're in a studio, maybe you feel at best, maybe you feel 50-50 about your chances for your next, but, but the investors now, they are, you know, ready to apply a much higher probability of future success, maybe 90%. So if an investor comes to you and says, you know, I'm ready to offload all of the risk, we, you know, we really think your next game is going to be successful, then uh, you're going to take that risk. You're going to take, you're going to take that opportunity. And I mean, some it's, it's, I mean, some of these companies now have so, so, so many titles. So, uh, yeah, as long as a few, few of them become, uh, become big it's 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 a portfolio that you know it it can work uh obviously if if some of the bigger acquisitions are not going to pan out it's going to be a problem but um yeah yeah so there seems to be two sides of the coin right there right (laughs) obviously traditional game methodology of like it's a big payday if it works it's a big loss when it doesn't but you don't know until three years later so (laughs) there's always a huge risk with that (laughs) Uh, the game business has gotten better with uh, their monetary business, the mm. mobile, free to play, Fortnite. You know where it's more daily revenue streams mm. rather than than that. So that that seems to be fixed. But of course, there's a huge swath still of these development for a long time, and then movie release, blockbuster mm. day or not, right? And I don't think that's going to go away for a while. Um, you did mention like you know bigger companies with known proven IPs have a better chance because they have like, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're to the time frame of releasing something is a lot shorter. So that makes sense, right? They have a bigger chance of playing the lottery. So the other side of that, I want to ask specifically are the newcomers, the ones that don't have that first IP yet that have mm-hmm. a lot of prospects. And you mentioned a little bit about, you know, how people plays a big part of who you invest and what you invest. How does that play into factor? Of course, we're, we're probably talking with, uh, lesser money, but you know, there's still a lot of risks, right? Um, how, how is that looking for, for the I mean, smaller developers? To be honest, I, I, um, I don't invest that much in content actually. It's mostly game tech. So I'm not the right person to uh, talk too much about how, how that works, about, uh, uh, you know, how the due diligence on the people is done, but you know, traditionally, especially in the US, when you see acquisitions, it's like someone is buying the best of breed, you know, like Activision buying King or EA buying Codemasters, latest deal. So they're buying like the best in that segment. But what we've seen a lot from Scandinavia is that there is interest in buying kind of the mid tier players just because they have a game, 
it generates revenue and the, the, the stock market values that revenue uh, very high, you know, uh, and, uh, and the guys who are at this mid tier companies, they can, um, they can both uh, cash out and participate by getting some shares in the acquirer in the future. And the acquirer, you know, if you buy uh, 50 mid tier games, you're going to have a pretty big portfolio, which, uh, hopefully is going to not be so dependent on, on the hits because you have so many, you have like, uh, you know, 50 mid-tier titles and a few of them can fail and a few of them going to outperform and the average is going to be good. Mm -hmm. Uh, One last question before Mm -hmm. I dig back into your history. You know, um, there's some acquisitions, like you said, that make sense, right? Where Mm -hmm. EA buys Codemaster, uh, Microsoft buying Xenimax, you know, these are acquisitions that, yeah, of course, right? They're growing the portfolio. And then there's some that if you want to comment or not, I don't know how close you are, but like with like Daybreak Studios was something that, you know, uh, happened across the radar uh, middle of last year. And that's a game studio that hasn't had a hit for five plus years. And what they were announced were unappealing, but somehow they they went through all those troubles and 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 were able to make it out with an investor in hand. Like so in those type of situation, like what what is the play there uh, where publicly, at least it didn't seem like there was much. But I mean, privately, I, there seems to be. Yeah, a lot I I don't know too much about the specifics, but what I you know what I what I can imagine is because they have a, a you know games as a service uh, games, so they have games that uh, even though they haven't had a smash hit in you know past few years, they are still have a, a, a few games which generate a steady stream of cash flow, and if uh, and if. And if the shareholders or the investors in the acquiring company are valuing the company at, you know, 10 times earnings or, or even more, I, I don't know, I had to check it out, then they can pay, you know, pretty, pretty good just to get that earnings into that company. And then uh, I can, I have to imagine there are a few talent there, which, um, you know, maybe can be repurposed in the organization or, or so, but, but. I think these types of you, you, these types of acquisition will mostly happen with companies with kind of an MMO or games as a service type of business where you have kind of a, a, a loyal fan base, a steady stream of cash. If, if you're a comp, if you're a hit based, uh, developer, uh, you know, you, you had a hit last year and now you're developing a completely unknown new IP and you currently almost have no sales that then you're not going to be very attractive to these types of acquisitions. Uh, I mean, you might be attractive for other reasons. Uh, or... mm-hmm. I, I think uh, this is the right time to kind of go back into the history a bit. So you said you got into the world investing for, uh, well, Payday 2 was kind of like your your intro to that and that started off content, but now you're exclusively just game tech as mm-hmm. where you put your money in and then, you know, the, the meeting with, uh, Teddy and, and, and Quixel and understanding that and taking hundred percent of your money and take and borrowing hundred percent more. Uh, what is it exactly that made you kind of switch towards game tech where you felt content was still not interesting enough or too risky for you to kind of 
get around. I think Quixel was, it was very specific because when I met them, they had been building Megascan's library for about five years, you know, just yeah. going around and scanning and funding it through Quixel Suite and uh, not having a lot of, uh, not having put a lot of time, even the product Megascans wasn't really uh, done by then. It, it, the pricing wasn't done and so on. And uh, I think that specifically when I heard that they've been doing this for five years, no one else has been doing this and it's a real time saver. And at that point they had just had that partnership with Disney and uh, Megascans was used in, uh, in the jungle book, which won an Oscar for best, uh, I think it was best digital, you know, something, something within VFX, like a VFX Oscar and they had used a lot of Megascans. So, for me, that was like a proof of concept. And I said, okay, we, we just need to figure out, you know, how to, how to structure this. And we, we were able to, uh, they, they recently hired a guy from Simplicon who was, uh, you know, helping them out with the business model. And, uh, I said, you know, we, we just some extra funding. We just have to put the pedal to the metal. And I think this is going to be, everyone is going to have to use this because it's such a time saver. And, but and, and during the way you being a middleware is always a bit of a struggle because, okay, we're, we're, we're doing all this time saving, but it's, you're not never going to get paid for 100, you know, even 50% of the efficiency you do. It's like, you know, you're using, you're using word, but you're not comparing that to a typewriter <laughs> you're not, then you would have to pay millions for a word license. So you're only going to cash a fraction of the value you deliver as a middleware and in this business you always have you're like always uh in between the you know let's take a break and hear a word from our sponsor this episode is sponsored by silent media you are creating an exciting world but are the players truly connecting with your story? Audio is the main line to your player's emotional core. Good or bad game audio can often be the difference between a player continuing in their journey or giving up. At Silent Media, they know game audio. They've been through challenges before and they want to help. So you can book a free game audio strategy session to tell them more about what you're working on. Go ahead and go to silentmedia.com forward slash booking spelled s-i-l-e-n media.com forward slash booking look guys audio is one of those things that can be very difficult you have no idea what to do with it now you don't have to figure it out on your own especially if you're an indie company or you're working with a small group you guys already have your plates full of responsibility so why not Seek a professional help on a very important part of your game. Go to silentmedia.com right now forward slash booking and give it a try. Just meet the guys over there and just see what you can end up with. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. All right, back to our episode. That's exactly right. I, I think but, that most... But maybe that's not naive. I don't know. No, it's true. I, I think you, you hit the heart to the problem to most game development being too long. Uh, there's no reason why games should take five to eight years. Uh, and when you talk to a team that is stuck in that cycle, it's mostly because of throwaway work or uh, the iteration time is so slow. Uh, and uh, it burns out people when they have to throw things out and do it over again. So the only way to kind of correct that 
Mm. There's only two ways, right? The managers mm. have to be better at uh, at uh, nailing their vision uh, first mm. try, which isn't going to happen. Uh, or the tools have to be uh, fast enough so that it doesn't feel like a sacrifice in time mm. and, and content uh, every mm. time something else needs to be generated new. And I think that's the direction the industry is moving uh, and learning from uh, to be better at baking games. So I, I think everything that you're doing uh, with all the companies have, have been a great improvement in that. I mean, be, be, you know, when I, after I spent about one year in the industry and started to, I mean, realize like initially you almost cannot believe it that so much content is being thrown away. Oh yeah. It's, well, once you realize it's, it's almost mind boggling. I mean, it's like, uh, uh, you know, it, it will be, it will be cool to live in a, an alternative universe where, not, where all the games that got scrapped got made and then you could try them out. It's probably a lot of great stuff there that never made it. And it, I just can't imagine the, the pain of working on something, you know, some project work for five years and it gets canceled and you can't show anything that you do. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's even worse. I haven't personally uh, I mean, went through that, but. Of course, we all know I mean, friends that did. I don't know if any other industry has anything, you know, similar. <laughs> I, mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, maybe I think all parts of entertainment has something like that. I mean, we've mm. heard movies being scrapped. I mean, I'm mm. sure there's music. Movies are probably our, our closest cousin mm. in terms of just scrapped work. Um, but I've only gone as far as getting my levels cut and that mm. hurt enough. And the unfortunate thing is when we talk about seasoned developers are, are people mm. who are kind of used to that and kind of muffle that part of their creativity going forward to mm. move forward. Mm. Uh, and it, it, it kind of, it's a detachment mechanism basically. Oh, well, I'll get cut. Well, on to the next thing. Next how, time, I'll, I'll try how not do to you, care as much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How, how do you restart your creative and passion once you build something that you love and then it's it just gets thrown out? You just got to be detached. Mm-hmm. I mean, at mm-hmm. some point, you put your heart and soul in something and that's mm-hmm. when it hurts the most when things do get cut or it's not restarted. But also the, the reasons, the different reasons I've heard of things being cut, it's like... It's you know, nothing to do with you, yeah. A lot <laughs> no, of, it's not even a good reason. <laughs> like, it's like... Uh, you know, someone rewrote the story. It's like, someone okay, but the you know, can, yeah. can you? <laughs> it's always a, it's a running joke with at least environment artists because I feel environment mm. artists throw away the most stuff. I, I mm. don't know. I don't know how, how anyone else can compete with us because we literally build the world and throw it away. Right. So <laughs> you might have a character here and there, but I can't imagine anyone throwing more stuff than us. And so, the running joke with us has always been designers and narrative writers, right? Because whenever mm. they have a new thought, a whole mm. world gets kind of tossed aside. Mm. Um, a lot of months and years even kind of mm. just thrown for the betterment of the game, right? Betterment yeah. of the game. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I think what we're talking about here is, is, is really relevant. It's, it's a pattern that I've been seeing for years where everything it's moving towards proceduralism, just bettering, mm-hmm. fastering, uh, less people type of thing. I would love to kind of dive in a little history of your Quixote days because it seems like it informed mm-hmm. a lot of your decisions going forward. And mm-hmm. it was a like a learning journey for you of mm-hmm. uh, really uh, confirming yourself as uh, an investor in, in the world of games, right? Mm-hmm. At least game tech. So from your day one of, it, it sounded like what you saw was impressive. 
but mm. also your instincts too of being ahead of the curve of this is new, but no one's paying attention to it. There's a huge upside to this. I'm going to get on this. Um, from then on, uh, how did your role evolve? I mean, what what kind of things? Because at that time, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming that you, you, you were just being introduced, right? You did your own study, but like being in the trenches now, you're hmm. probably learning a lot more about game games in general, right? Yeah, I mean, there are so you, you, I, I mean, Teddy and Vakar were such impressive. Uh, I mean, Teddy has been there is a great interview you guys did with with Teddy where he goes over uh, the history, but uh, you know, basically scanning was everything he'd been doing since he was like 10. So, uh, and Vakar was this amazing entrepreneur who was running a big company in, in Pakistan. So they were built, able to build that. So it was just a, such a super team of, of founders, uh, who are, who are you know, super, super dedicated and probably the best in the world at, at uh, what they were doing, but they were just under, um, you know, overwhelmed, understaffed. Uh, and so, we took in a bit of funding and I was mostly working on the funding side. I mean, I, I briefly had the title as CFO, but replaced myself with someone better. And, uh, just basically we're just making sure if, you know, if we needed to raise money, we, we were able to do that at a good valuation. And, uh, uh, if there was interest from others to acquire the company to, to, negotiate uh, around those terms and, and see what what would be the best outcome for the shareholders you know who were you know we had some share you know some just financial shareholders wanted maximum return uh, mm-hmm. and the founders they had the more uh, they also had you know I, I think money was almost secondary to them yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. that's why the epic transaction was so you know if I may say epic, because I've never rare, you know, because they made it free, which was like, um, I mean, how often do you see an M and A and then the comp and then the acquired company is now free. Uh, so it was a cultural fit and, uh, um, but going back to your, your question. Yeah. I think initially getting people to use photogrammetry was not as easy as it looks now. Uh, a lot of people had their pipelines. A lot of people were working, uh, you know, I don't know what I should call it manually or yeah. non photogrammetric pipelines. And, uh, but once some of the big guys started using it, uh, many people just, uh, yeah, just fall joined up. Um, I mean, now it's almost difficult to think about that there was opposition or, or doubt about photogrammetry ever being in a pipeline. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but now it's pretty, pretty common or now I guess it's standard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely a, a shifting mindset for a lot of people. I, I myself was in that transitional phase. I think it was early 2016 or something mm-hmm. and it was just right after battlefield was the big photogrammetry mm. is here everyone mm. should use it and so we were working on cod and we were just mm. uh you know doing our own scans and trying to investigate you know how this fits in our current pipeline mm. and yeah I, I think there was a big mixture of you know the younger mm. guys and gals mm. being all up for it and being very interested mm. and the older people who have their set pipelines mm. didn't want to mess with that and saw it mm. as a 
threat maybe, you know, hmm. um, or not as, um, it's not good enough. I can, I can probably make this, uh, in, in, in designer faster hmm. or whatever. Right. And not hmm. getting the potential of it. Hmm. So yeah, there was a weird phase for a few years. I, I think, like he said, it's now it's kind of, if you're making a realistic game, you should be using photogrammetry. Uh, hmm. why are you sculpting rocks? Right. It seems almost dumb. Uh, it is mm. dumb uh, for you to 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 waste your time zbrushing that, right? Mm. Uh, but it, it seems to be the factor. And we just had Luis Corral, who who worked at Side Effects for a long time uh, on Houdini stuff, and mm. um, it, it was one of those factors where we kind of uh, came to the conclusion because of the big guys for the industry to really change, the big guys have to adopt it first and then it kind of spreads and, mm. and, 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 and throughout. Right. Uh, the problem with the big guys is that they are five, eight year machines. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And most of the research and new tool developments are happening at the beginning of their cycle. Mm. So they're going to have to wait for like the next PlayStation for things to basically uh, get picked up. And so, unfortunately, fortunately, we didn't have to wait that long. It was around mm. that time where mm. big studios were adopting it. And it, it, it was introduced mostly to, it seemed like it mostly got introduced by hobbyists or mm. junior developers, right, mm. uh, that were toying with all these different ideas. Mm. But, yeah, it, it's a funny thing to kind of take a look back at how technology or jumps are made. And it's usually not from seasoned developers, which is odd, but it has to be for the industry to kind of, kind of adopt everything. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think for with with the uh, with three D artist tools, there's a you know it's easier to put them in the pipeline within you know during a project. I mean, it's not easy, but it's mm-hmm. it's easier. You you can you if you're making a photorealistic game, you you can start using Megascans even you know yeah. a few years in. But um, for some other tools like uh, Elias Software, which is an audio tool, which is uh, like it's a you know it's a runtime software, which is you know it's, it has to run in the game to to play all the, sh- the stuff that that you can only implement at the beginning of a new yeah. game developer so you know if we're speaking to people now we have you know we have to wait until they're starting a new game where they can look at the pipeline so getting in so getting in and this was similar to quixel it's a bit of a uh, runway even uh, to 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 be adopted yeah you talked about your time starting with a few guys and your initial investing in, in Quixel, and then finally the the big celebration when Epic mm-hmm. acquired you guys, right? In three years sounds like a short time frame, but I'm sure that it felt longer while, while you're going through it with a lot of combative, maybe not combative, but like uncertainty, right? Like the, the problem with games is that if investors don't see it every day monthly mm. revenue you know cash flow mm. being a big part of it mm. they mm. start questioning it right and mm. it start it's hard to prove it even more if they don't understand the lingo and what you mm. guys are doing or entrenched in the game industry to understand how big this will be um mm. what are those kind of like daily challenges being like the main guy connecting funders to get funded uh, what kind of conversations well, that you think yeah, would be well, helpful for for people who are looking to get invest to kind of get on the same page here? 
I think something that is that is tough in this segment, which uh, is it's partially beneficial to me, it's that the so-called total addressable market or kind of how big you can become. It's VCs, big VCs, you know, they want businesses. They can be like multi-billion dollar businesses. And if I'm going to be honest, if you're a tool, you're, you know, your own, like how many 3D artists that are ready to pay for a tool are there globally, you know, maybe five, maybe there will be 10, but it's not Spotify. And most VCs, they want that, you know, unlimited upside. And, uh, and here, yeah, you can make 10, 10 X return but maybe not a hundred X and then it's, um, invest. And these, so these companies are small, often small to start off with. So a big venture capital investor, who's like minimum investment is $10 million. It's, it's going to be too small for them to start with. And it's, and the upside is going to be too cap because at the end you can only sell to every game studio in the world. And no. you, you, it's still, uh, and that's something still that you can kind of count or at least every triple A, double A studio. So, um, that is always tough to kind of, uh, explain to, to them that, uh, because they, I mean, we had some stuff about, uh, you know, quick, so, you know, becoming a marketplace and, and uh, but, um, but for your product, you're kind of restricted to to the industry, and you have to find those investors that are fine with uh, with with that. Most and that's mostly angel investors or, or very small uh, VCs. And then in business to business technology, it's always it's also <laughs> you have to spend a lot of time to understand mm-hmm. it. Maybe it's just going to be a small investment, so people don't want to spend the time. I mean, just understanding something like a game audio system and no code like Elias or. Um, or even Quixel, it takes a lot of time to understand the value. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but but lucky for Quixel, we did have like increasing revenue all the time. So we 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 had the fortune never to be super stressed about getting new funding or even uh, even being sold uh, because we were we were steadily growing. Mm-hmm. I would love to kind of talk a bit about that because. Um, you know, talking to Teddy mm. and knowing what the goal is now has always been about mega scans and creating that library. Mm. But along the way, was it always a plan to have Endu, Dedu, all that software updates and stuff to kind of continue the cash flow to fund the big project? Or was it just one of those things during development? It's like, hey, we need to uh, appease, uh, shareholders to come out with something, uh, to meanwhile fund the bigger thing. Uh, I I think this question overall is helpful for, uh, startups to kind of consider because yeah, it might take a while to get the bigger thing at the same time. You're more attractive. You have these little grand goals to show and prove technology, uh, as you're going. Yeah. The the thing is I try to find founders which i invest in where where i don't have to make those decisions uh, so i i kind of i mean i think you know uh, I, uh, if i remember correctly i don't want to kind of misquote him but i think teddy said and that's my remember that you know mega scans was always the plan and the other was just to to fund it from an investor point of view i think um, what we what attracted everyone was you know the idea that of course not everyone should make a stone each time they make a game. We should have the biggest library in the world. So, 
uh, I think kind of the the metrics we used for you know is the company doing well or not was uh, number of uh, assets in the library and how often they got downloaded. Mm-hmm. I was definitely a huge proponent to that. I, I think that has helped uh, all all products to kind of uh, be better. I think the quality in games, mm-hmm. especially from indie and AAA developers, are I, I, uh, have risen. Yeah, I think it's so. Just back to your question again. I th- think it's if um, it's important to find m- metrics that you can focus on that are not necessarily tied to your revenue, because also we were, you know, we were thinking about this as a as a platform, you know, as a as a as a strategic asset in the industry, and then you know our revenue last month shouldn't matter that much, and that's why we focus a lot on on assets uh, and asset. And that, that was also a metric we could control. You know, we, we could hire more people to build scanners, more people to go out scanning, have more scan trips. So ideally you want a metric that you have an influence over, uh, because the sales, it's like, it's almost like it's secondary. Yeah. Well, speaking of building metrics, right? I know game content is not your forte, but I'm sure you have friends that are investing in game content. Mm. um still right absolutely and on on that side it's always even to me a guy who produces content and trying to get out of my shoes to put myself on the other side it's still a risky business um because in the end you're trying to you're a variable Mm. and i mean you can believe in your product as much as you want but you don't know until it's out there uh i don't know how I mean, I think, I think mobile gaming, it's become more almost like a quantitative business. So yeah. I almost don't see that as a content business anymore, Yeah. but, yeah. but on the content side, I mean, it's how, how can you, I mean, how, like you seen this game Valheim from a mm-hmm. Swedish studio. I mean, it was one guy for, I think the first two or three years and then he hired like, so, I mean, I think, I think the team at release was like three or four. It's pretty, it's pretty fun. If you start a game and go into the credits, the, the team that made the game, it's like four people. And then you have like the publisher and the other teams, they are like five times as many people. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. How, how, how could anyone have predicted get game selling? I think it's po- past 5 million, 5 million sales copies now. I mean, it's sold more than many triple a game and and then on the other end you have um, uh what's cliff bezinski what's the game he made uh, uh lawbreakers yeah yeah lawbreakers was like on paper i mean i mean if, if i would awesome. have if i would have been an investor and asked to invest in uh, his studio and it's like it's him it's lawbreakers it's like i 100 i would have invested back then and then i don't know i think it came out the same as PUBG, and and, and it had like you know 100 players ccu and it got canceled in it so having those one hit contents it's it's super difficult i mean i i don't i don't even know how, how you would start to um, to uh, to judge that that's why i'm i'm trying to keeping away from that yeah, it's a obviously you haven't figured out how to do it. Otherwise, you you would be in it. And I'm just trying to understand because it, there seems to be some formula going on. Uh, I think the mobile business, like you said, mm. is the exact opposite of this issue. Right? They figured it out. They know exactly mm. day one revenue sh- where it should be to day three sixty mm. a- after release. Mm. Right? Mm. Um, 
and it, it's no mystery. I mean, I, I worked at a mobile company just to kind of feel and see what's going on. And mm. they, they are a whole different thinking beast. Um, mm. You have like graduates from Stanford and Harvard sitting. It's like, what is this a game company? Why is all these smart people? And all they do is just look at statistics and analyzing behavior mm. and I'm tweaking a few things and looking at results uh, quantitatively, you know, and it was a very different approach uh, to game design. And then the game content team is a lot smaller <laughs> than, than the, the people doing the numbers. So I was like, oh, maybe this is the future. This is the way. And so you're starting to see that bleed into games like Fortnite, PUBG, who are starting to think like that. I don't think there's a, there may be a few triple companies that are completely uh, mobile centric, right? Mm-hmm. Where maybe an EA company, I don't know. But a, when you talk about a large, swath of triple a companies they don't think like mobile not yet right mm-hmm. starting to but not yet um so there's two sides of this coin where i feel like there's one side that completely nailed game content being a very uh investing uh mm-hmm. quality thing uh where they can guess what's next but then mm-hmm. there's the other side where it's still like a a gamble in a lottery uh which i don't get where how come someone hasn't sit down with both sides and figure this out because it seems like we figured it out. It's just, no one's talking to each other. Um, I don't know. If it's, uh, yeah. I don't know if it's ever gonna, I mean, you've worked there. So for, for a certain part of the AAA industry, yeah, I think it's, it's still art. So I, yeah. I don't know if it's ever possible to like Valheim or, um, uh, if it's ever possible to get that down to a formula, obviously, if you're maybe kind of, uh, I guess, release, I mean, you can work with, with, uh, what, what do you call it? Like, you know, you have test groups and QA and all that, but some, mm-hmm. some games like, you know, control recently, which I like, uh, it's like, uh, it's an amazing art statement, I think also. And, uh, I, I hope that's always going to be like that for a certain section of the games. I always see, I, I see the big game. I mean, I, when I look at cyberpunk or I look at uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, I, I think this is probably one of the largest art projects in human history. I, mean, I don't know how mm. maybe more people worked on the pyramids, but like what other art project brings together this many people? Uh, so whenever people complain, I'm like, hey, come on. <laughs> I know. It's such, a, it's such an amazing amazing thing uh still that uh, those things are real yeah it's very uh it's a very hard hard struggle i think uh as a content creator to um mm-hmm. to have something like red dead where mm-hmm. it's literally blood sweat and tears uh and it, i feel like it's only can be built that way uh mm-hmm. and imagine if you take the mobile approach of daily mm-hmm. revenue and and stuff mm-hmm. i think it will ruin that development uh very quickly yeah when you know when when i when i when i stand in in, on a hill in cyberpunk and i look across the city and i think about you know i can actually go there and there is stuff going on there and i mean when if i would have imagined that when i was like 10 that that's gonna be Mm -hmm. possible i could not have believed it and then when i think about all the really really cutting 
edge technology that goes into there. You know, everything from you know the GPU, uh, you know, real, you know, what, what they call it, DLSS, you know, this mm-hmm. uh, AI res, you know, <laughs> guessing what's the resolution or or guessing what how the picture looks at high resolution to to make it run smoother. It's like it's insane. You know, we're using all this cutting edge technology to deliver this really really amazing art. So. Uh, so yeah, I like to make kind of even you know better artistic tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it definitely is a safe safest bet <laughs> if you were going the games. Uh, and it seems like you're you're very well versed on that side of the sector, so it only makes sense that you continue to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, what word of advice would you have for for people who are starting, has a startup, doesn't have that portfolio of IPs to kind of make a safe safe pitch but there's obviously a lot of companies that are like them that are getting through the front door and getting it across right and there seems to be the right people on the other side of the door ready to put their money in and help them out right and invest and see there's an up uptake uh mm-hmm. uptick mm-hmm. um what do you say in general uh that they should position themselves at like how should they go about it if they are ready to take those next steps? I think, I mean, I, I think there are still quite a few, uh, game technology companies that are, uh, I, maybe I could say underfunded uh, they mm-hmm. could go grow quicker and get to their goal quicker if they raised funding, but they haven't. And, um, I think it's been, it has been very difficult. It's probably going to be helped a bit with now kind of unity being one of the first really like a i mean uh, that's yeah i mean they have a lot of advertising revenue but it's still a game tool at some level it's kind of made people understand that the tools uh, also can be be uh, very 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 valuable uh but uh, I, I guess i'm trying to think of your question there um uh, I mean, if you're a tools company, first you should, uh, you should contact me on Twitter. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, just this, I think this narrative that with PlayStation 5, everyone is going to have to have, you know, create more stuff in less time with higher qual- quality. And if you're helping out with that, you can be really valuable in the ecosystem. Maybe you haven't figured out your business model yet, but, uh, you know, uh, this is going to be, you, you know, just get the users in. And then, uh, you know, the, the whole movie industry and everything is, if that's moving to Unreal Engine, I think every tool is just going to be five times more user valuable. Well, that's actually an interesting side topic here. So mm-hmm. we talk mostly games, but as you and I know, like uh, entertainment businesses outside of games are, are, are using, are starting to use all the tools. Uh, mm. They're starting like Unreal, uh, Unity, and of course, anything that comes mm. to support those two. Um, and they are very specific needs on that side too. They're, they want mm. everything even faster iterative feedback um, happening within the editor or, or game time, being able to move things in the game, mm. right? Kind of like a uh, playing Sackboy and you're just live editing things, mm. which is very unique to movies. Uh, games don't have to have that type of iterative mm. feedback unless the art director really wants to hover during a meeting and like move that right now. I need it now, right? Mm. Um, so, that's a very specific movie ask. Um, with that part of the business coming, 
how do you see this evolving? Uh, were there angles that you didn't uh, see from before that you're like, wow, there's a whole new player. They have a lot of money. A lot of these studios want mm-hmm. things and are recognizing game tools being mm-hmm. important. Um, would love to kind of hear your perspective on that. Um, yeah, I think something that I, uh, it, it, one thing that I've you know come to realize is that it's, uh, I think the network effects when, you know, in the past, if you had a, if you have had a career in, you know, maybe VFX, you know, within advertising or within Hollywood movies, you couldn't easily move into into games or from the, or the other way around maybe if you were a lighting artist uh, i've heard uh, many hollywood lighting you know physical lighting arts starting to work work um, you know in game studios but now if if everyone is going to mo- work in the same engine uh, or everyone is moving to to let's say unreal i think it's going to be amazing if it has to be an amazing boost for the whole segment that you can work in advertising, then go to movies, then go to games, you know, seamlessly. Uh, so that should help, uh, should help everyone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, the fact that, that movies is, is moving that direction should just, yeah, I, I don't think we even, I mean, obviously it was used in the jungle book, but, uh, it's probably going to mega scans, but it's probably, you know, you're going to see it, uh, start seeing it more and more everywhere. Mm-hmm that's only great news for you man uh seeing seeing things ahead of the curve um speaking of which and you know obviously you're 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 helping with polygon flow you're helping with elias software what other exploration in the game tool sector that you feel like this is going to become the next big thing aside from those two like what what part of the pipeline where you see and hearing from there's just mm. this can be better um in the horizon I mean, something i something i i haven't heard of anywhere and maybe i mean i'm really not technically that smart but something I, i've been thinking of someone applying ai to npcs uh, in a better way i feel that could be really interesting and uh, potentially revolutionary for gameplay. Uh, there are a couple of apps on the phone, which uses like uh, an AI kind of connected to the internet, which you can almost freely chat with, uh, but you know, it's not always the most, uh, the most answer, but, but uh, it's not a pre-scripted dialogue you're having, like you have on a game where you only have three, three or four options. So, I think, you know, maybe where you can somehow build characters, NPCs, where you're, you know, you, you can say, you can say whatever, and they have an AI, which, you know, and which connects to kind of a a set of experiences that character has, Mm -hmm. and it's responding to you. And so every, in a single player uh, RPG, you could have like a super, super unique experience and, you know, build I mean, like, <laughs> wouldn't call it real, but you know, unique relationship with the characters. Uh, so I, I think, I, I think that that's gonna come. But I haven't seen anything out there. <laughs> it would be cool if someone was doing something. Well, there you go. If you mm-hmm. want to play a game with Siri and Alexa, <laughs> uh, that sounds that sounds actually pretty cool. I think that is yeah, the I mean, next level take, stuff. Take yeah. the Siri. I mean, uh, they're pretty bad, but even just. 
I would like to see someone just just giving that a try using kind of Siri type technology and uh, having that on on the NPCs uh, and just uh, just see what happens. No, it's true. I, I think um, I think with multiplayer, we use mics mainly to communicate mm-hmm. with live players. Uh, I think the same needs to be investigated for for ai players within a game ai is another sector that's been funny right mm-hmm. we see we see a lot of people like the movie industry and other industries starting to use tools but mm-hmm. i see a lot of former programmers at these AAA companies starting to work at ai companies for like mm-hmm. elon musk and stuff mm-hmm. so there is a correlation there for for mm-hmm. the tick the for the advancements that we've had for npc mm-hmm. i think it's been under uh appreciated uh, until recently, where the re- like a lot of that relevant um, AI tech within games mm. is starting to kind of cross over to actual applications to AI mm. in the real world, um, which is funny. Uh, I don't think it's talked about enough how how a lot of what our program has been doing for years are, are starting mm. to find some weight uh, in the advancements mm. of. But uh, uh, every time I read of, of uh, it's mostly shooter games to say now we have a really, really good uh, uh, enemy AI, but it's, it, it's it never, it never really fools you <laughs> that it, it could be, could be human. Yeah. One, cool applica- one cool application I, I saw was in, um, in a, a bicycle racing game where they, uh, for the AI, which you are playing against, the AI was kind of self-trained through a neural network. So, um, to my understanding, when you race, they could actually kind of, um, make mis- mistakes um, because if you're playing a racing game today, uh, I don't, f- I think most racing games, the AI, the, dif- the AI difficulty is just like how fast they are. It's not like they're they missed the breaking point and, and run off the track. Yeah. But uh, if you're training it neurally, you can have more like human behavior like that. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Making it less perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Totally get you, man. Like there's a lot of that crossover. I'm seeing, you know, robo taxi being a thing of the future. <laughs> I see a lot of my friends at these uh, AI car companies basically building mm. worlds to kind of train and simulate the the ai within the cars mm. uh for that scenario just just mm. ai driven training uh <laughs> with game tech which is uh, a crazy lateral approach to a, a lot of the tools that we've been using today like i never would have thought like five years ago that we have friends now in in these like <laughs> world-changing companies uh doing the same I mean, thing I, they've been doing I, yesterday I, yeah. it's i but, but i came it from the opposite way i i i i, uh, I thought uh, uh the video I, I thought all the industry used the same tools like uh, uh movies and games and everything i, I kind of was shocked that uh, if you work 10 years in movies you can't just uh, move to a game studio and have value <laughs> mostly That's- yeah, yeah. Well, it seems yeah. to be happening now. Uh, yeah. So, finally caught up with your uh, initial uh, noob <laughs> perspective. <Yeah. laughs> but uh, this is actually the part of the time we are at the hour mark where uh, I kind of shut up, hand the mic over to you to, to shout out if you want people to connect with you somehow or, or not, uh, or give attention to any cause or, or things that's happening in the world that you want. Uh, this time is yours. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, if, uh, 
if you are within the space of game technology and uh, looking to start or have started something, you can. I have a homepage which has www.thegaminginvestor.com. So easy to remember. Uh, I have all my investments listed there, and you can contact me if you have any questions or uh, or want to pitch anything. Um, I think uh, yeah, that's that, that's it. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks a lot, man, for stopping by my apartment. Uh, it was uh, great to finally have you <laughs> as I pop back in here. Same. Uh, it was great to kind of finally, uh, you know, have you join the podcast, and which is funny. I thought I've had you on before, but I guess I didn't. But uh, nice to see you, man. And uh, thanks. Have a good time in the pandemic. Hopefully, things are all right. <laughs> well, thanks. All right. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail feature, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest questions and comment on your deepest darkest secrets thank you everybody